Welcome to Ghost of a Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Lignato. I'm an astrologer, psychic medium, and animal communicator, and I'm going to give you your weekly horoscope and no bullshit mystical advice for living your very best life. Puppies, kittens, there's something very important for me to tell you, and that is that I am doing the first Ghost of a Podcast giveaway. I am so excited. The whole month of August 2019, in honor of Ghost of a Podcast's one-year anniversary, I will do a weekly giveaway, and this is how you enter. It's so easy. Go to Apple Podcasts, whether or not you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, go to Apple Podcasts and give the show a five-star rating. And in your review, include, of course, kind words. We love kind words, but also include your either Twitter or Instagram social media handle. And you have to specify whether it's Twitter or Instagram, and you have to spell your handle right. And once a week, I'm going to pick a name, and you will be contacted directly by me, and I will hook you up with some adorable swag. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be cute. It's going to be so cute. And if you've already written me a review, first of all, thank you. And second of all, just go in, edit your review, and you'll be entered to win. See how simple that was? I think it's pretty simple. I'm really excited to do a giveaway. It's my first giveaway. So, you know, be a part of it. Be a part of the ghost of a podcast magic. Happy birthday to us. This week, I will be revealing the very first winner of the giveaway. And if you want to know if you yourself are the winner, then you're going to have to listen through the end of the episode because I'm revealing it at the end. Get ready for the suspense. And now it's time for how the sausage is made, or so many questions. The first question I have is from Emily, and Emily asks about 12 house placements. She says, okay, ever since I found out about 12 house placements, I have had low-key existential crisis trying to learn what exactly it means and how to work with that energy. Every YouTube video I watch or book I try to find makes it all sound so doom and gloom, but it also seems strangely accurate. Could you give me any better insight? The 12th house is one of the things that I am so passionate about and I would say is one of my specialties. And you're right, it's really hard to get high quality, useful information about the 12th house. And some of that is because of the very nature of the 12th house. Now, if you don't know what the hail uh, house is, I'm going to give you a quick little primer on it, okay? In Western astrology, which is the kind of astrology I practice, and when you're reading your horoscopes, that's the kind of astrology you're reading about, the chart is a wheel. And the wheel is cut up into 12 pieces. We can think of those pieces as kind of like pizza slices. That's kind of what it looks like, but they're called houses in astrology. Each house has its own meaning. And I won't get too deep into the weeds with this, but the first house always means a particular thing. The second house means a particular thing and on through the 12th, right? Based on the exact time and location of your birth, we figure out which zodiac sign was rising in the Eastern hemisphere at the location and moment of your birth. That's why astrologers need your exact time of birth. And this sets your rising sign and your midheaven, which is the first house cusp and the 10th house cusp. Depending on the house system that you use, all the other houses in your birth chart may vary. So if you use something called whole sign houses, or you use something called Placidus, or if you use the system I use, which is called Campanus, you're going to get 
different houses throughout the wheel, except the thing that never changes or varies is the ascendant and the midheaven. If you're studying astrology, this might be really useful to you. If you are not studying astrology, this might be really overwhelming. Don't worry about it. Just trust that A, astrology is complicated and there's a lot to learn, and B, the 12th house is really important and somewhat confusing. So let's get into it. The 12th house in any birth chart is a place where we hold our unconscious. It's where our earliest developmental experiences rest. And therefore, it's what we kind of refer back to within ourselves. When we have planets in the 12th house, what happens is those planets don't feel quite embodied or they don't feel entitled to function at full capacity. They tend to stay in the basement. And, you know, no one puts baby in a basement except you and your family. In other words, oftentimes what we see is that 12th house planets represent the energies that your parents or guardians were actively repressing in themselves or feeling like they couldn't express or experience in themselves anywhere from a year before your birth until you were about seven years old. So maybe by the time you were 10, they were totally embodied with the energies of that planet. But earlier than that, they were modeling for you that those energies were scary or not to be experienced and expressed. And because of that, it taught you on a really deep subconscious level that experiencing and expressing those energies was dangerous, was risky, was wrong, or was bad. If you look at a lot of astrology stuff online or in books, it'll be like, this is the place of madness. This is the place where everything falls apart. And I mean, it can be, but I certainly don't see it that way. When we have planets in the 12th house, we are meant to have an active relationship to ourselves. This is a very important thing. The planets that are in the 12th house don't always thrive within a lot of pressure and a lot of performance drive, right? That those planets aren't super motivated by pressure. What they're motivated by is wholeness and truth and creative, artistic, or spiritual wellness and wholeness. That's not bad. It's not bad. It's not super functional in industrialized capitalistic society, <laughs> but it's not bad in any way, shape, or form. You, unfortunately, Emily, did a classic 12 house thing, which is you included your exact time of birth to the minute, 6.34 p.m., so precise. You included your city and state of birth, but girl, you didn't include your birth date. <laughs> and that's a classic 12th house move. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, sometimes in our earnestness to show all the way up, we forget details with 12th house stuff, which eh, it can be a bit of a bummer. So I don't know if I've as thoroughly answered this question as you might like me to, but I can say this. We all have a 12th house in our chart. We all have an inner richness and depth. And when we have planets in our birth chart in the 12th house, or even when transiting planets move through our 12th house, we are called to embody from our root system up our truth, our wholeness, our complexity. And those planets that live in the 12th deserve your attention and care, not your fear, not your worry, your attention and presence and care. And when you have a lot of 12th house planets, aka even one, <laughs> 
it's important that you make sure that you are breathing and that you are tending to the needs of your body because the 12th house tends to ignore and evade the physical experience of being a human. And that's not awesome because, you know, we're stuck in these meat suits for a reason, my love. We're stuck in these meat suits for a reason. My next question is a Gemini thing. And this question says, I have this thing that's been happening. A few weeks ago, I started wearing a necklace with my sign Gemini on it, and I've received some comments on it. Most have been kind and complimentary. However, I often receive this comment. Oh, you're a Gemini, so you're two-faced. Now that comment right there nearly turns my Dr. Jekyll into Mr. Hyde. How would you recommend educating the Gemini dynamic to these people? I am aware that if I just took off the necklace, I wouldn't have to deal with this in the first place, but I'm proud to be a Gemini, and I would rather share some knowledge rather than feel shamed about being a Gemini. Much love and high vibes. So I love this question because it empowers me to say that sun sign stereotyping is what I like to characterize as bullshit. It is not kind, it is not good astrology, and it is not based on facts. Honestly, my first thought is that when people are rude and reveal themselves to be not just ignorant, but kind of mean-spirited within their ignorance about anything, you always have a choice. You can engage on their level, or you can speak more literally to what they're saying. And that might mean saying, oh, wow, you're the kind of person who stereotypes based on sound signs. <laughs> That's cool to know. <laughs> That's a fine thing to say. Just take them at face value. Or you can say, huh, have you had a lot of really scarring experiences with Geminis? Or <laughs> you can simply try to educate them about how and why Geminis are not two-faced, but instead able to see many sides of a particular item, situation, or whatever. And because the sign Gemini is ruled by the planet Mercury, it is able to weave in between ideas and even identities. And that doesn't mean that they are two-faced. It simply means that they are flexible. You can do that, but anyone who's just going to you know, shit on you because you're wearing a Gemini necklace and they think Geminis are two-faced probably doesn't want to really have a meaningful discourse. They're probably not trying to learn astrology from you, right? So I don't encourage you to try to teach someone astrology who clearly doesn't want to learn it because they don't generally think that wins over hearts and minds. People ask me all the time, what do I say to the people who don't like astrology or say it's bullshit? And my answer is pretty consistent. It's I don't say much because you're not going to convince somebody who doesn't know anything about a topic yet has a very strong opinion about that topic. You're not going to convince them of anything. So, you know, my real strongest advice is to not let it get you down. It's fine. It really is. If somebody's going to be shitting on a sun sign and make assumptions about who you are and who you are not based on your sun sign, well, then you've learned something about them that maybe you didn't want to know, but it's kind of cool that you do. So, okay. Anne says, my partner and I have been together for four and a half years and married for eight months. About four months ago, they came out to me as non-binary. Though I didn't see it coming, most of our circles are largely queer, so it wasn't a total shock. We are committed to working on ourselves and our marriage and various forms of therapy, no matter where this journey leads. That said, I'm terrified. The closer they get to solidifying their gender identity, the more I go into flight or fight mode. All of this is compounded by the fact that last year we opened up our relationship at their urging before I was ready. It's a long story, but a lot of trust was lost in the process. 
I want to be more open to the excitement of starting our queer family, but I'm so rooted in fear and physical anxiety that I feel stuck. How can I take care of myself and also be a good partner in the process? So this is a really important question, and I want to point something out straight out the gate. Basically, what you're saying in this question, Anne, is a lot of information about your partner and that you're scared. You're actually not sharing any personal information about yourself other than you're scared and you think that your fear response is a symptom of a larger problem that you have with yourself. And I want to just take pause at that because when our partners transition, and certainly when our partners transition gender, but when our partners change, when they all of a sudden become obsessed with work or all of a sudden don't care about work, (laughs) when they become vegan or they become paleo or whatever it is, when our partners make radical changes or embody radical changes, even if those changes are their truth and in their best interest, it doesn't mean that it works for us. You know, I noticed that you don't mention your sexuality within this. You don't mention your preferences. And I want to say that loving your partner may transcend your gender preferences and your sexuality, and it may not. That doesn't make you phobic or unsupportive to them. It makes you a person with preferences, and it's okay to have preferences. I think that you're focusing on the fear as a way to avoid focusing on what you feel about what's happening. Sounds like you married a man. Sounds like you're a woman who married a man. And now you're no longer in a heterosexual relationship. Not in the same way. And it's okay that you're ambiguous about whether or not you want that. It's maybe not awesome. Maybe in theory you would feel really differently. But it's okay that you feel that way. I've known countless lesbians to have their partners transition to male and not be okay with losing their lesbianism. It doesn't mean that we're phobic to have our own feelings. And so my challenge to you, my dear, is not to pathologize your feelings and to look at whether or not you're carving out space for your own experience. Because what it sounds to me like you're doing is you're rushing yourself to be supportive to them before you've figured out how you feel and what you need about it. This means ultimately that you're not going to be able to be supportive to them. Because if you have to support them by abandoning yourself, it won't be sustainable. My next question is also about a relationship. And it says, please help. I messed up and I need your advice. I looked at my fiance's transits online and it says all the things I didn't want to hear. In particular, that he's going through a Venus opposition to Uranus. According to the internet, it sounds like we're going to break up and he's going to meet a fiery new romance. Do I trust the transit? Is this going to happen? How can I trust him versus his horoscope? I love astrology and I love him, but I'm greatly distressed and I've never needed more guidance from a trusted astrologer. And then this woman shares her partner's info, which I will not share on the podcast, but she also shares her own info, which is May 10th, 1988, 4.27 p.m. in Fort Worth, Texas. So here's the deal, my friends, and this is very important to you who has written in. When you say, should I trust astrology? I want you to understand very clearly 
that it is not about trusting astrology. It is about trusting the astrology writer on the blog post that you read that on. It is not about trusting astrology. Astrology is not a single thing, my friends. It does not. And I can right now off the top of my head think of five different astrologers that I really deeply respect, that I believe are excellent, skilled, well-intended astrologers. And we would all have a different take, not 100% different, but we would have a different take on the interpretation of that transit. Also, the transit does not exist alone. Honestly, let me tell you this, girl. It could be that your fiance's transit is about his fiance reading astrology and overreacting and freaking out and that destabilizing the relationship. Literally, that could be the transit. Don't don't let that be the transit. Don't do it. The reason why it is unwise to look at our loved ones birth charts, especially our the transits, is because you're not objective enough to use the information. And a rule of thumb that I like to apply to life is do not ask questions you do not feel ready to hear any answer to. And you obviously were not ready to hear any answer because you sent me this panicked email. So here's the good news. A lot of times when people are engaged or getting married or when they have a kid on the way, I see people are going through this transit because it destabilizes your life. It represents major change. It doesn't mean you're going to break up. It doesn't mean you're going to break up. It doesn't mean you're going to fall in love with a romantic stranger or whatever. It can, but you know what? Lots of things can. If you are meant to be with this person, there is no transit that is going to destabilize that. In any successful long-term relationship or marriage, one or both parties will inevitably go through lots of transits that are kind of, quote, breakup transits. It's just part of living. And that doesn't mean that all the people who go through all the transits break up. It means that there's a challenge to the relationship. There's instability that is introduced to the identity or to the relationship. But I did something. I did something for you, which is that I looked at your chart. So the reason why you decided to look at his birth info, even when maybe you knew better, because if you listen to me, you know I've told you not to do that, right? And the reason why you did it is because you, in general, have a hard time leaving well enough alone. You actually, in your birth chart, have a Uranus-Venus opposition in your birth chart. So your whole entire life is a Venus-Uranus opposition, but you're getting married. My guess, my dear, is that you are feeling nervous and that you are projecting that nervousness onto this man. I want you to think about it because your chart says that you are both really focused on long-term commitment and pretty scared of long-term commitment. I encourage you to feel your feelings, to allow yourself to be uncomfortable and scared, and to not project those feelings onto him and make it about him. I don't think it's about him. I think it's you. And that is actually quite lovely because you can then talk to him and be like, hey, I did this thing where I freaked myself out. (laughs) And, uh, I really love you and I'm invested in you. And sometimes I'm scared of being married and let's talk about it. Are you ever scared? And just, just don't assume that you can protect yourself from the future. You can't. All you can do is be honest and whole and real in the present. That's it, girl. That's it. And when you do that, sometimes it works out brilliantly and sometimes it doesn't. That's just life. But freaking out and obsessing and trying to like sneak attack the future, that backfires always. (laughs) So it's not a good strategy. And also, congratulations on getting and getting engaged, getting married, 
I'm not worried about it for you. Hopefully you're not going to stay worried about it for you. And finally, I have a question, which is a really simple question. And it says, what do you talk about with your cat, Panda Elizabeth Henry? I'm dying to know. Okay. So this question is a question I get all the time. And this was the most succinct way that somebody put it. So it made it into the podcast. Okay. So I have a beautiful cat. I have a couple cats. I have a beautiful cat named Panda Elizabeth Henry. He is, you know, a big part of Ghost of a Podcast. And he's a lovely person. He, <laughs> if you follow me on Instagram, you will see many, uh, many, many, many pictures of him and videos of him living his best life, you know, just living his best life. And people ask me frequently what we talk about. I want to clarify something about uh, animal communication. Our animal friends are not human friends. So human friends, the way our brains work is we think and think and think and think and think and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and we convert emotions into thoughts and we convert physical sensations into thoughts and everything gets converted into thoughts, 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 thoughts. Cats aren't like that. Animals aren't like that in general. They're not as analytic and cerebral as we are, which doesn't mean they do not have the capacity for deduction and nuance and having their own perspectives. But it's not kind of run through the computer <laughs> as many times as we do. So it's not like I'm sitting around with my animal friends being like, so what did you do? Oh, I see you went over there. What was it like? Like we're not having those kinds of conversations. To give you a peek behind the, the curtain, I talk to him just like I'm talking to you right now with my damn voice. And when I really want to communicate something very clearly, I triple check and make sure that I am communicating with my feelings and my thoughts as clearly as I am communicating with my voice, because my voice is not what he's understanding. And when he communicates with me, no, he is not communicating with me with a voice. It's not a voice. It's not like he's talking. He's not meow, meow, meowing, and I understand meow, meow, meow. And it's also not that he's speaking to my mind in such a way that I am hearing his individualistic voice and hearing language. Now, sometimes the language comes through really clearly um, when an animal is communicating with me, but it's the best way I can describe it is, and bear with me, my loves, the best way I can describe it is this. You know that song that Beyonce sings? Something like to the left, to the left, everything uh, of yours is to the left. I know I butchered it, but I did it for a reason. I did it for a reason because I want you to remember that song. I want you to remember that song. You remember that song? Now, as you're remembering that song, maybe you're hearing it play out in your mind. Maybe you're seeing the music video that came with it. Maybe it's reminding you of the time when you used to obsess on that song and what was going on in your life at that time. Maybe you have visuals with it. Maybe you don't, but there's like, these multiple layers of memory and understanding that occur when I reference a song that you used to listen to. It's not that you're hearing the song in your ears, but you're hearing the song, right? It's not that you're reliving the past, but you're having these sense-based memories that are visceral on some level, they're emotional on some level, and they're cognitive on some level, right? And that is the closest I can get to describing what animal communication is like, or even what mediumship is like talking to dead people. It's not, it's not super literal and direct. <laughs> and also, it's quite clear. Thank you for joining me on this journey through the questions. Keep on sending me your questions. You can do it on my website at lovelignato.com. I love to read them.
Hey, lovers, it's time to talk astrology. We're looking at the week of August 4th through the 10th, 2019. And happily, after a month of great astrological intensity, aka intensity, this week actually has only a couple of really lovely transits happening. And that is just such wonderful news. And before I get to unpacking them, let me just remind you of something that I will probably remind you of a lot in the month of August, which is that just because things are slowing down this week, next week, or whatever, if major stuff got kicked up during eclipse season, if you have been dealing with massive shifts in your life or trying to kind of get your life to the next level and struggling with your inner critic or your self-imposed limitations or very real limitations, whatever the case may be. When there's a pause and when there's a break from kind of an onslaught of stuff is often when people actually feel the feelings of it. What I have noticed is from an experiential level, you know, I talk about the astrology and the astrology says X is hard, Y is easy. But if you haven't taken the time, if you haven't had the space to emotionally process through the difficult stuff you've been going through, then when things are a little bit easier, it's almost like your system knows it's safe to feel the feelings. And when that happens, you feel the damn feelings. And that sounds great when I say it in this tone of voice, but it's not always great. <laughs> Sometimes it's quite difficult. And so as you listen to my horoscope and maybe you read other horoscopes or listen to other horoscopes and you hear that things are like peachy keen, you might be like, well, why am I not feeling fabulous and easy? And hey, maybe you do feel fabulous and easy, but my take on that is because when we don't create the space or we don't have the space to process through our emotions, our system simply waits and it waits as long as it needs to, but it waits until it feels safe enough to do so. And so be gentle if that's what's coming up for you around this time. And don't worry that you're missing out on some sort of great astrology. You can't miss out on astrology. It's just life. You live your life and you live it to the best of your ability. And if you falter, eh, you falter. If you fail, that sucks. But you, you keep on learning. You keep on moving. That's got to be the approach, right? It's the only way to sustain whatever efforts you are trying to sustain. Okay, my loves? So before I get into the specifics of the horoscope, I want to talk about something kind of bigger that's going on. And it's really wrapped up in these three outer planets that we have transiting through earth signs. So we currently have the planet Uranus moving through Taurus, the planet Saturn, and the planet Pluto moving through Capricorn. These are deep and important transits. Whenever we talk about the outer planets through the signs, they are the markers of generational and societal shifts. And so these planets move so slowly, they kind of drag society along with them. What I am going to talk about is this thing that I've been thinking about a lot, which is call-out culture. And I've been thinking about how we kind of got here, how we got to this place where call-out culture is so painful, honestly, and pervasive. And I've been thinking about it in the context of astrology, of course, as I do. A big part of what I have kind of come to realize is that back in the day, before everyone was on the internet all the time, before everyone had mobile phones that are really just computers in their pockets all the time, 
you would go to a cafe. You would maybe let, see a book that someone left behind. You'd pick up the book. You'd read the book. And maybe you didn't agree with the, the person who wrote the book. Maybe it was somebody who actually is really problematic in some ways, but has excellent ideas in other ways. Let's say it was somebody you disagree with on some things, but inspired you in other things. Picking up that book that you found in a cafe and reading that book was not endorsing the writer of the book. It was not endorsing the publisher of the book. You could pick up a book that you found in a, in a cafe and it would be personal. It would be that you chose to read it. You chose to consume content. Now, when I'm scrolling through my phone, when I'm on a website, when I'm clicking through on something or even pausing on something to read it, someone is watching. It is owned by someone or something, right? Pluto and Saturn, both in the sign of Capricorn, speak so much to institutions. And when we speak of institutions, I don't mean it like hospital-style institutions. I'm talking about capitalism. I'm talking about governments, right? Hierarchical structures that are so deeply woven into the foundations of society that they become, quote, normal and reality. Now what's happening is if I engage with content that I see on the internet, I am endorsing it on some level, right? If I like something, on some level, I'm propping it up. If I repost something, even to shit on it, I am making it bigger. This is a really important shift in society to understand that now we are being tracked with our online conduct all the time. Even as you sit here listening to a podcast, I'm not tracking you personally, but someone is, Apple or whatever podcasting uh, you know, station you're listening to this on, whatever device you're listening to this through, we are all being tracked. We as individuals, as consumers of content, in a way we become the product. And it's so complicated and it's also really simple. There's this way now that if I see somebody online who is propping up, liking, endorsing somebody's ideas that Maybe half of their ideas are fucking terrible and the other half of their ideas are really inspired and wonderful. Then it's easy for me to want to say, how dare you hold up that person because half of their ideas are terrible. Instead of being able to sit with the complexity of things. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong because the reality is, you know, we are endorsing things. We are propping them up when we engage with them. Even when we look at them, when we linger on them, when we click through, we are feeding those ideas, those people, those things. And so it's really complicated. But what's important for me to point out is that this is brand new. It's brand new. And what it does is it inhibits our ability to explore. It inhibits our ability in some ways to sit with contrast. And I really believe, I really believe that disagreeing and debating is really healthy. It's a healthy thing to be able to sit with someone who you don't see eye to eye with and talk to them about things you don't agree with. I think it's really healthy and useful to understand different people's perspectives. I think it's really healthy and useful to be able to engage with people and ideas that are in contrast to our own. And I think it's, of course, very healthy to be able to recognize when that becomes destructive or unhealthy. 
I'm not encouraging you. I think it was in the words of Brene Brown to be a jackass whisperer and to try to like consume all the content of the world of people who are just dead set on disagreeing with you or who are phobic or tragic in their perspectives. But there's a great deal of space between that and someone who has a different perspective on the world or who doesn't understand how to use language in the way you do. When we throw out the whole person because we don't want to give power to some of their ideas and some of their perspectives, it's a dangerous trend. I just got to say it is a dangerous trend because Saturn and Pluto in Capricorn is all about judgment and punishment in its negative form. When we are unwilling to engage with people that we don't agree with and we see things differently then, then we are lacking a certain kind of self-possession and we lose out on a certain amount of nuance in our own process and in our own thinking, in our own evolution. But then on a bigger, more societal level, what that means is we are going to fight more. It is going to be me against you. But the problem with me against you is I might only actually agree with parts of you. You might actually only agree with parts of me. So then what? Then we become more and more divided. This is how we are disempowered. When we are divided, when we are all too willing to punish others, that means essentially that when we mess up, we punish ourselves. Then those divisions between me and you, or between me being a good person or a bad person, all that kind of thinking become straight up destructive. I want to again reiterate, I am in no way encouraging you or anyone to abandon discretion, right? We need discretion. We need to have critical thought. We need to be self-aware about what we're consuming and what we're propping up in society, what we're putting our money and our likes into. However, when we forget that there are people behind accounts, that people are writers and content creators, when we forget that people have bad days and make mistakes and we just condemn them and we say, well, you fucked up this one time, I'm done with you, it's over. Then we are losing track of the greatest potential for that Saturn and Pluto in Capricorn, which is creating foundations that are more humane and sustainable call-out culture, throwing away the whole human, (laughs) cancellation culture. It's all very Capricorn crap. It's like the negative side of Capricorn. What we can strive to do is to be nuanced enough to not abandon our integrity, but also to not be perfectionistic. Because my picture of perfect, I can promise you, is not the same as yours. As it should be. We're different. We all have our own unique birth charts. We all have our unique life experiences. It is what it is. And I want to encourage you to look at the ways in which you are condemning others, the ways in which you are throwing away or canceling others, and see what it's reflecting in you. See if it's actually about the need to do that, or if it's just about how difficult it is for you to tolerate that you have a complicated and nuanced dynamic with someone. You know, the Dalai Lama, he said some bullshit about ugly women. I'm not going to throw away the whole Dalai Lama. Why would I do that? The Dalai Lama is a source of great inspiration. He's done so many amazing things. And that was stupid. I disagree with him. But there's lots of wonderful people who say stupid shit. 
and who I straight up disagree with about many things. And that doesn't mean they are without value. So I encourage you to look at it. I encourage you to think about it. I encourage you to explore it within yourselves, my loves. Off to your horoscopes, my friends. This week, we have two transits with Jupiter, and Jupiter is such a know-it-all. Where we have Jupiter stuff, we can often find ourselves getting arrogant or standing up on a soapbox and telling people how to be. Or conversely, we can grow and expand and be more open-minded and open-hearted. So, you know, I, my little rant is not by accident. I really want to encourage you to, to really explore that. On the 7th, we have a beautiful transit of the sun trine to Jupiter, and we'll be feeling it day before, day after. Now, the sun trine to Jupiter is expansive. It's a transit that is really excellent for personal growth and development. Jupiter is resilient. If there's something that you need to work through or something that you need to take care of or do that requires resiliency, that requires whether it's kind of a strong ego or physical strength or simply the ability to tolerate something that's a little tricky, this is a great time to do it because Jupiter will help you process through things with a little bit more grace and ease, which we love. Sun trying to Jupiter is not per se an excessive transit. However, if you've been trying to cut back on your substance use or eating unhealthy foods or shopping online, that kind of stuff, this transit can inspire you to feel like, I've been doing a good job. I'll just indulge today. And that would be a mistake. That's the downside of a lovely Jupiter moment is that it tells us that it's, it's okay. I'll just, I'll just take one more. I'll just do this one last thing. It's not going to help. It's not going to hurt me. The downside of Jupiter is that it can make us feel like it's no big deal to lie. It's no big deal to cheat. When in fact, it is, right? So you want to make sure that you're maintaining your goals and integrity around the state even if it would seem incredibly easy not to. Now on the 8th, Venus forms an exact trine to Jupiter. So these two transits will overlap. The 8th will be a really powerful day. Venus trine to Jupiter is a lovely transit. If you are an astrology or a horoscope junkie and you're running around town reading astrology stuff all the live long day, you will probably see some astrologers say this is a great time for falling in love. You know I'm not going to say that because I I'm a boner killer Capricorn sometimes slash frequently. So I don't think that that's what this transit tends to bring. What it can bring is a greater sense of willingness to flirt or to be open to different kinds of people or to seeing where something goes. And so what Jupiter does is it brings us resiliency and it brings us opportunity. And what we must do is respond to it. We must respond to it with wisdom. I think that Jupiter by transit often tests how well we know ourselves. And it does this by giving us opportunities. And if you take an opportunity that would be great for me, but is terrible for you, and you run with it because you know it sounds good on paper, then you're not going to like what Jupiter brings you. You want to really pay attention to the things you are offered, the things that just kind of flow your way this week. And make sure that if you are consenting to imbibing them or inviting them into your life or investing in them, that they actually help you grow. They actually make you happy. Something that is good on paper is not necessarily good for you. And in different ways, both Jupiter and Saturn teach this lesson, but Jupiter teaches it by offering you a delightful piece of cake that will make you feel terrible later. And Saturn teaches it by not giving you the cake that everyone else got a bite of. So it's different, 
but the upshot, honestly, is pretty similar. Now, Venus trying to Jupiter is actually a lovely time for shopping. It's a lovely, within budget, please. It's a lovely time for uh, playing and connecting to other people. If you are going on a first date, you are likely to have a lovely time, but it's not going to bring love if the love connection isn't already there, right? Right. Common sense stuff, right, my friends? Now, all of this said, this isn't the time to settle. I want to encourage you to push it just a little bit. And when I say it, I mean your growth, your development, your heart, your tolerance for nuance, your tolerance for love, your tolerance for loving yourself, and even for loving dumbasses who you don't have to let into your life in a personal way. Jupiter brings with it the resiliency to make good choices, make choices that are sustainable and expansive. So check it out. Look at how you can do that and see how it improves your life or your hour or your day. It's worth it as an experiment. Now, my loves, I am so excited to read to you the first giveaway winner for the Ghost of a Podcast giveaway all August. As you know, once a week, I'm choosing a winner. <laughs> I'm so excited about doing this. I can't even tell you. I love giving away presents. And I got to say, Thank you to every single one of you who wrote me a review. I got the nicest reviews. I just, I couldn't read them all in one sitting because it's so emotional. Thank you for reaching out and for sharing so much kindness with me, you guys. I love you guys. I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying this well because it's, it is emotional and it's tender to me. And I just really, really appreciate your kindness and that you're doing the work. And I'm just, I'm just so glad for it. And the winner of this week's sweepstakes was Melinda. And Melinda, if you haven't already checked Instagram, I have DM'd you. I want to get you into some Ghost of a Podcast or Lenado swag. I am very into it. So please do check your little gray messages. Melinda said, love listening to this podcast each week. I've been following Jessica Lenado since her work on The Hood Witch, and I've always found her inspirational and informative. As a woman of color with my own spiritual practice and a student of astrology, Jessica's unique and modern point of view is one that I cherish and keep coming back to. She's not only a wealth of knowledge in all things spiritual, but also a healer in the way she answers questions and delivers us listeners fun nuggets of information each week through her newsletter. I recently attended a webinar on emotional intelligence that she hosted and I've been going back to it as I continue my astrology studies, finding new pieces of information each time. Thank you so much, Jessica. Love and blessings, Melinda. Um, thank you, Melinda. Thank you so much. I'm so excited that you like that class, which is for sale on my website under the Learn With Me tab. And that website, of course, is lovelenyato.com. If you haven't already written me a five-star review on iTunes and left your social media handle, please do that. Now, a couple people forgot to specify whether it was Twitter or Instagram. So I want to reiterate, if you don't share all the data, I can't pick you. Now, luckily, Melinda, she she did everything right. I mean, she, just, she was just damn near perfect. As always, please do subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. Um, continue to be kind to yourself and others. Keep on showing up, you know, just keep on showing up. Every year they say the end is near But we're still here